Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome, folks. Welcome to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, week after week, we keep growing. And it's really, uh, I really appreciate all of you who send me beautiful emails, just letting, letting me know your insights, your takeaways from uh, each interview and each episode. It's, it thrills my heart to know you're receiving so much value and inspiration from Soul Talk. I am really excited about my guest today, especially given the times that we are going through right now. Uh, we're going through, as you know, some very intense moments on planet Earth, changes, times of uncertainty, uh, adversity. Um, and my guest today has, for decades, for more than 40 years, has been a recognized visionary in being committed to alleviating poverty, ending world hunger, supporting social justice, uh, environmental sustainability. Uh, she's worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta to the refugee camps in Ethiopia uh, and uh, is passionate about helping those in the Amazon rainforest as well. Um, she's an amazing human being. I've had the opportunity to meet her as a part of an organization called Transformational Leadership Council. She beams love, authenticity, and just such grace. Uh, she's the author of The Soul of Money, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Life. If you haven't read that book, uh, I read that book in maybe 2005, I think, four or five. It was life-changing. Check out the book if you haven't read the book. We are in for a real treat with this amazing, uh, in my eyes, legend of a human, Lynn Twist. Lynn, welcome to Soul Talk. Goodness, thank you very much. <laughs> welcome, a big introduction. Thank you. Wonderful. It's, you know, I'm really thrilled to have you. I know you're busy. Thank you for saying yes. And I, I just, especially in these times, I wanted to, I just wanted to have you on to help us navigate through some of these uh, difficult times that we are going through as a humanity, a crisis point, I think, for humanity as we're facing you know, COVID-19 and lives changing and fears and concerns. And, and so before we dive into that and some of the questions I have there, just, just to kind of set a context for, for people that may not know of you and your work, um, just, just, just kind of set a frame for us in terms of just a bit about how you got into doing what you're doing, um, what started that journey, how that began, and how, just, just kind of like how you got to this point in terms of working with alleviating poverty and world hunger and environmental sustainability. How did that begin? And uh, how did that, how, how has that progressed to now? Um, well, my God, I could tell my whole love story with that life story yes. with that question. But I, um, I was fortunate um, when I was a young mother to get involved with Buckminster Fuller, um, mm. who was a great teacher for me and millions of people. Uh, 
Buckminster Fuller was an engineer and an architect and a, 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 a really extraordinary humanitarian. And he devoted his life to an experiment that to see if one human being, one little individual he called himself, could make a difference that impacted all of humanity. And he lived in that question and he lived uh, lived the answer to that question, which is a resounding yes. Mm. Um, and I knew him, uh, first I just was aware of him and then I became a follower and then I ended up knowing him. And he really opened my eyes to uh, a, a whole body of distinctions about the world, you could say about the universe, about planet Earth, uh, spaceship Earth, he used to call it, that we're, uh, we're all the crew on this spaceship Earth. Um, he also invented the geodesic dome. He invented an electric car in 1949. Mm-hmm. He saw the environmental crisis long before anyone else. He saw the, um, the wayward straying of a civilization that had lost its soul early on in um, mid-century. Um, and then he, he died at the end of the 20th century. And mm. he made a lot of, um, I was going to say predictions, but he never talked in predictions. He talked about uh, what he saw could happen, mm. uh, both positive and challenging. And um, about um, 1976, I had an encounter with him that really did change my life and began this journey with the distinctions of sufficiency and enough, which became a, a, a tenet of working with hungry people, people living in conditions of hunger and poverty through the Hunger Project. Then I wrote the book, The Soul of Money, which you uh, are, I know very aware of. And um, that uh, book gave me um, a kind of platform that I couldn't have imagined mm. to know people like Archbishop Bishop De- Desmond Tutu and His Holiness the Dalai Lama and have the privilege of working with Mother Teresa, as, as you said, um, which happened before the book, actually. But then I, I uh, then have gotten involved more in the last 25 years with the indigenous peoples of the Amazon through the Pachamama Alliance. Mm. So um, the Hunger Project um, was it really part of my activism or my pro-activism, I call it. Um, and then uh, working with uh, the issue of hunger, you really learn a lot about the plight of women. Mm. And the plight of women and girls. So I became a huge advocate for uplifting and elevating the status of women and girls worldwide. And, um, and all, all these things sort of came together for me when, um, the Pachamama Alliance was born because our mission is to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, socially just human presence on this planet. Mm. And so in, that's a very large and grand and, um, I think beautiful mission, environmental sustainability, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. Um, those three pillars, those three legs of a, a stool of a new civilization, a civilization that's grounded in the principles of love, the principles of need rather than greed, the principles mm. of having enough rather than more than we need, and living in a, uh, a way with one another that is bounded uh, by generosity and sharing and an economy that is not based in scarcity, but rather based on reverence uh, for what we have. So all of that mm. is to say, I've been lucky enough to live what I call a committed life, and now I'm writing yes. another book 
with that name, um, what does it mean to live in a, live a committed life? Mm. So I'm, I just been fortunate and, um, in the right place at the right time to meet some extraordinary people. And I'm so grateful to have met you. Yeah. I'm, I was about to say that myself. I've been, I'm fortunate to have met you for sure. Um, what a life. Um, as we, you know, as we speak right now, the world is getting turned upside down. People have been quarantined, locked down. Um, a lot, a lot of stuff is coming up and I think it's, seems like it's causing us to reevaluate ourselves, reevaluate how we live, our practices, business, politics, you know, et cetera, et cetera, our belief system. Can you provide a bit of a, based on what you've seen and what you've lived and just your breadth of experience, I would really love for you to just provide if there's any perspective you have or what is your perspective on just the context of like what is happening at this time for humanity? I mean, it, it feels like at least a lot of people, it's just like a disaster. Oh my God. But like, what do you see happening on the planet right now? And um, let's start there. Like, what is going on? Well, first of all, um, I want to acknowledge how grave it is. Yes. The seriousness, the gravity, oh. the fear, the um, devastation, the heartbreak, the pain, the suffering that's taking place right now alongside of the courage, the heart, the generosity, the dedication, the, um, the uh, devotion of our, of mm. our um, frontline workers, whether they be uh, health professionals or police or um, governors of states. You know, we're all in this together and we've never been mm. so together in my lifetime um, as we are today. So this there's a widening of the human experience um, mm. that I think is unprecedented in my lifetime. Mm. What I mean by that is as you create your life and create your career or whatever it is you, you decide you're up to, often you narrow your life experiences to think to things and places and people and projects and initiatives that you know you can succeed at. And, um, and that's a very intelligent thing to do to focus one's life as an engineer or an accountant or a, a transformational teacher or whatever we choose to be. Mm. And those professions um, are powerful and important, and I bow to that. Now, we're all uh, self-quarantined. I like to call it um, social solidarity, even rather than social distancing, social solidarity oh. and facial uh, spatial separation. It's a spatial separation, not a social separation. Yes. Um, because our social fabric is more in, more connected, more, um, more apparent than ever. We are clearly, the virus has taught us we are one biology. We are not, uh, this and that, and this is not related to that. We all have heard the, the siren song of interconnectedness all the way through these last decades of the environmental movement. But now it's unmistakable that we are one biology with wild animals, with each other, with the natural world, with the stars, with the sky, with the, uh, with the clouds, with, with every living thing, every living, breathing mm -hmm. thing, including the, the plants and animals. And, um, that biology is now, um, uh, very, very apparent through the virus. Many people, Jane Goodall says that the virus has come from um, uh, the encroachment of our civilization on the wild. 
because mm-hmm. the viruses uh, that we are now having in our bodies um, are carried by wild animals and they don't hurt wild animals. But now that we've encroached so much on the territory of wild animals in the wild, uh, though we're starting to eat meat from the wild, where there are the wet markets in China, which many people say was the source of the virus. So jo- Jane says that. And then Dr. Thomas Cowan says that the virus came from from our technology, from 5G networks. The mm. highest concentration of the 5G network in the world is right around Wuhan, China. And then mm. Dr. Zach Bush says the virus came from glyphosate, which is the uh, toxic uh, fertilizer that's now all over this planet, but the highest concentration of the toxicity of glyphosate in the soils is right around Wuhan, China. Mm. So I don't know where it came from, but mm. I say it came from life. It came from the yes. earth. Yes. And one of our shamans that I really revere, uh, I'm going to quote him, has said something very beautiful that is another answer to your question. And he says this, in a deep primordial part of ourselves. Many of us have been waiting for something like this to happen. Mm. Someone or something powerful and sacred had to intervene in order to stop the destruction of the sources of life. The earth herself has now done so. Viruses are made by the earth. They are part of us and we are part of them. Wow. And now as humanity, we are forced to make the sacrifice we could not make from our own will. Painfully now, the sacrifice goes beyond letting go of our comfort and the habits that led us to an excessive consumption, not only of basic needs, but of goods that we consume in excess for mere pleasure, comfort, and entertainment. Unfortunately, now there is also a sacrifice of human lives. With deep compassion for those who are suffering, I have to say that the earth is still being kind and gentle that her way of defending herself could be much worse. So that's from one of the shamans. And then another mm. shaman that I'll, I'll quote also um, is uh, a man who uh, has said, the virus is not a punishment, mm. uh, it, but it's an ally. Um, and it is asking us to cleanse. It is demanding that we do a cleansing, a cleansing of habits and ways of living, and ways of thinking, ways of being that are unhealthy. It's making us stop and slow down and reflect. It's uh, forcing us to cleanse our bodies. It's forcing us to cleanse our homes. It's forcing to cleanse the air, the rivers, uh, the seas, um, the mountains. It's forcing us to cleanse our cities. It's a huge, huge intervention that's an ally. It's a cleanse. And yes, there's a loss of life. And yes, there is suffering. And yes, there is pain. Just as there is when a new baby is born, mm. that there is also a coming world that's being born, but it can't be born until we're cleansed. And whatever long uh, length of time it takes to cleanse us of, um, of ways of being that are inconsistent with the long-term sustainability of life, this will last. So those are words from shamans, um, or quotes, not exactly, but my interpretation, their interpretation which is another um, answer to your question that I'm so lucky to have access to through the Pachamama Alliance, even mm. if we work with uh, elders and shamans in the rainforest. Mm. Wow. Beautiful. Powerful, powerful insights from the shamans there. In terms of, like, for those listening in, what do you feel 
as we go through this time are the most important changes maybe individually we can make or reflect on or do uh, within ourselves, but also in our worlds. And what, what are some of the most important shifts maybe as a, as a humanity, as a way of operating as a humanity? You, you kind of mentioned some of those, but I'm wondering if you go deeper into that as well as a humanity that basically you feel we have to make if we're going to, to make it through this and create a different civilization. So individually and then sort of as a, as a collective. Well, individually, um, it's very difficult to be um, told you must stay at home. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, all of us have longed to go home. Mm. When you think about it, um, those who travel a great deal like myself, and, and, and I know you do too, Yes. I often say to myself, oh, it's so great to be home when I actually get here. Right. <laughs> and um, and many, many, many people, and I'm I'm sure there's exceptions to this, are so busy, so engaged, so frantic, rushing from point A to point B, whether it be to catch the bus to work or to make it to the grocery store before it closes or to pick up our kids from school or to uh, make it to the next uh, whatever it is, that we have not had the the real uh, demand, you could say, or the discipline to actually uh, be in resonance and resonance with this distinction home. Mm. And a home is not just where you live. It is how you live. Home is your body. Uh, your spirit now is uh, housed, residence, in your body. And to um, since we can't go outside, we're being forced to go inside, not just inside of our dwellings, but inside of the body in which we dwell, the spirit uh, that uh, sustains us. And that's healthy. That's beautiful. That's a gift. That is a blessing. Mm. It's also very difficult. But if we, now that we don't have the massive distractions and pulls on our physical body to go here, to go there, to race around, um, of course, we can remanufacture that on here on the on the screen uh, yes. here on the internet, and um, I'm very good at doing that. Mm-hmm. I can confess myself. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there is this experience of finally humanity going home, coming home, and I mean individually now. Uh, the word ecology and the word economy, eco eco, they're very related. And the word eco comes from the Greek word home. That's what that means. Mm. Ecology is study, the study, the uh, uh, analysis of our home, which is the earth, eco earth. And the economy is how to um, uh, manage really our home. And so we're forced now to go back to what I'll call source, uh, which is our own creativity, our own intuition our own spiritual depth, our own uh, reflection. And I know, yes, it's difficult. It's painful. People have lost jobs. They're devastated. They don't have money. I know there's pain and suffering, but that's also very, very humbling. Mm -hmm. And to allow it to humble us 
so that we see what are the habits. Now you can see your habits, your bad habits, they're right in front of you. You can't race away from them. They're here, right here at home where we live. So we can release, we can let go, we can surrender, we can um, bow down to uh, the freedom now to let go of bad habits and replace them with practices, conscious practices, um, the mm. cleansing of our homes, the um, cleansing of our minds. Mental hygiene now is as important as physical hygiene for not getting the virus. Obviously, we all know to wash our hands, wash our hands, wash our hands. But I'm um, very aware that mental hygiene, in other words, a healthy mind, will keep the virus at bay. Um, because those of us who are worried and in fear and uh, that we draw what we're afraid of. So, um, and then there's an opportunity to expand our capacity for patience, generosity, kindness, and love. For people who are living in a group or living with small children or living with teenagers that they didn't expect to be home 24 seven, um, or living with a spouse that they were thinking of leaving or a brother or a sister that they don't get along with. I mean, there's a lot of huge, huge challenges inside of these sheltering in place, sheltering in homes that people um, uh, hadn't had to face before. Mm -hmm. So can we go through the eye of the needle with one another, sheltering in home, knowing that we're more connected than ever in our isolation? And um, can we find a way to begin to imagine the world we want out of this? Because there's a wonderful phrase um, that I think comes from Michael Beckwith. He says, pain pushes until vision pulls. Pain pushes until vision pulls. And I say the pain of the pandemic, the pain of being um, uh, almost trapped in our homes um, will continue until we pull a vision out of ourselves and a vision that pulls us towards a new future a new future for our family, for our marriages, for our household, for our children, for our educational system. You know, we've we've said zillions of times that we need to redo the healthcare system. Well, now we absolutely have to do that and we know it. We've said a million times in many different sectors, uh, we need to redo the educational system. Well, now education has come home. Mm. You've got to educate your own kids. And the appreciation that we've never had for our teachers, hmm. for our nurses, for our lowest paid workers, for the people who've cleaned our houses, for the people who've tended our gardens. There's a humbling and appreciation of now having to take all of that on ourselves. Uh, those of us who have had the privilege of having people helping people with that. And those people who have done those kinds of activities now I think there's going to be a wave of acknowledgement and appreciation for who they've always been and the magnitude of what it takes to educate a child, for a teacher to have 36 kids in yes. grade all day long, every day for five days a week. So I think there's huge, huge insights taking place mm. and a, um, a cleansing, a letting go, and if we can now begin to imagine and create wow. the world we want individually, and I really mean that, yes, and uh, collectively, this uh, pain will begin to subside and a new vision will pull us out of this. 
Mm, I love that. Imagining the world we want, the world we want to create. Um, a question arose as you were speaking earlier, and I'm still actually trying to articulate the question, Lynn, so forgive me as I find my way with the question. It's, 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 you mentioned greed, and, and then uh, you talked about, you mentioned the word excess a few minutes later, consumption, overconsumption. And so I guess I'm trying to ask, especially at this time, okay, greed has maybe led to some the impact, obviously, in terms of our environment, culture, spiritual fulfillment or not. And so it might sound strange, but what is greed? What is greed? Like in terms of, you know, I know there's a definition, but like how, like we've lived a certain way. So, so how do we know what is greed? Why is greed so, why has it been? Is it so at the heart has been so much at the heart of maybe how we've lived our lives as a, as a culture, um, the way we've been rating up until now as a whole. And can you, can you talk about maybe like how does one know when they're being greedy versus mm, thinking, okay, I'm, I, I just want, I, I want abundance. I want to, I want to be successful. I want, you know, so w- where is that line between success and, and, and abundance, you know, or, or what we think of abundance and greed. Does, does that make any sense? I'm trying to filter yeah. the question, but, but I think you get what I'm saying. Yes, I do. I really appreciate it. I think we haven't had the discernment of, oh, now I'm being greedy versus no, I just want to just, just be abundant. Right. And so speak to that, please. Well, um, that's a beautiful question. Uh, and I, um, I'll, I'll do what I can to answer it. I have a zillion answers, so I, I don't want to, um, uh, minimize the power yes. of the question um, by trying to condense all the answers I have into one. But I will say that greed comes from a belief in scarcity. Mm. And um, a scarcity mindset is the mindset that's the prevailing mindset of a consumer culture. Um, a consumer culture is based on more, 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 but it's based on more because there is an underlying unconscious assumption that there's not enough to go around and someone somewhere is going to be left out. That's an unconscious, unexamined assumption that's at the base of our economy, at the base of a consumer culture, at the base of commercialism. And it is a mindset that is um, uh, at the very heart of advertising, marketing, um, and an economic system called capitalism, um, that there is um, you know, it sounds counterintuitive what I'm saying because capitalism is about creating more. But the base of that intentionality and that drive, that almost insatiable drive for growth is the only thing we can, we have to grow or there's something wrong, is based on a uh, unconscious, unexamined belief that there's not enough to go around, that there's mm-hmm. Um, that you have to accumulate for you and yours because someone somewhere is going to be left out and you've got to make sure it's not you and mm. yours or the people that you care about, which immediately creates an us and a them. I call that the first toxic myth in the great lie of scarcity, which is a, a mindset. Now, as I say this, I just want to acknowledge that I know there's people who don't have enough. I totally yes. know that. I worked on hunger and poverty most of my adult life. 
Mm. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a mindset mm. that has us take way more than we need. Because in indigenous mm. cultures, for example, uh, a person who takes more than they need almost doesn't occur. But when it does, they consider that person mentally ill and wow. send them to the shaman. Wow. Because people just take what they need. And they don't take more than they need. It wouldn't even occur to them. People who don't take more than they need are people who know that the truth about life, or what I call the radical surprising truth, is that there's enough. Mm. And Gandhi said there's enough for our needs, but not for our greed. And it's true. There is enough for everyone everywhere on this planet, 7.6 billion of us, to live a healthy and productive life. And there is enough for that. And I'm not really even talking about an amount so much now, although I kind of am. Mm. I'm talking about a state of being that if you're in reverence for what you have, and if you take very good care of what you have, your possessions, your money, your your body, your health, your life, it expands when you care for it, when you love it, when you nourish it. Mm. You don't need to acquire more. Now, what I'm saying is esoteric. Of course, you need to buy more food because you yes. have food you have in your refrigerator. Of course, once in a blue moon, you need another pair of shoes. Mm. But our, we've gotten to um, a place where we don't even recognize the distinction mm. of enough. In a mm. consumer culture, you race right past enough. You don't even know that it happened towards yes. more. And if we turn our gaze to what we already have, that's why this stay-at-home thing is could be very, very nourishing for us. Mm. To look and see what we have, to revere it to make a difference with it, to honor it, to love it, to love the chair you're sitting in right now, to love mm. the fact that you have a place in Phoenix. You right. For me to love, which I really do, my home and mm. the, the little office I have in the third floor of my house, I absolutely love it now more than I ever have. I can see trees, etc. Mm, so yes. we have the opportunity to make a difference with what we have. And when you make a difference with what you have, we nourish it. It naturally expands, and that's the source of true abundance. True abundance does not come really from more, because more always leads you to lack, and then you need more again. More mm. in a concept, now I'm talking about a mindset, uh, becomes an addiction, and every more that you get leads you to wanting more again, and it's an endless cycle. So our whole society, to see if I can get to the end of this, answer to your very good question. I love it. I love it. Is uh, that we've been caught addicted to more with no recognition, no mm -hmm. consciousness, no realization of enough. And the more we consume and have, the more we think we need. And it's we call it greed, but what it is is a pathological mindset that comes with a commercial culture. Um, and, and we've all got that addiction. We all mm. have it. Um, so it's not only people who hoard and who are miserly. It's like everybody. I mean, no woman really needs 36 pairs of shoes. Right. But right. many women have them. We've only got two feet, you know. So, right. <laughs> um, so I don't mean to say, you know, I love shoes and I'm, I'll probably buy more. But I, I just mean to say that it's, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of um, not talking, uh, about our humanity, I'm talking about a mindset that I think we're trapped. 
I love it. I love this idea of truly, I mean, it, it, it sounds simple and, and we kind of like know it intellectually, like to truly love what you have, you know, this chair you're sitting on, your shoes, the pair of, so like the things that we've, we've had all along that we don't even appreciate, but I think like really feeling what you're saying and how that, that naturally expands the sort of abundance that we feel. It's really it's beautiful. It's and so, Sort of the key to the environmental movement to love and revere the earth and not uh, try to rape and plunder it, but to allow it to nourish us. Right. The more we love it, the more we allow it to nourish us, the more it will do that. Um, that's mm -hmm. true of everything. You took it, you took it to, to, to kind of side questions. One is kind of somewhat connected to it. And I'm curious, like, okay, so, so how does this, let's say, look, um, you, you give me a practical answer of, okay, loving what, what we have. So this is a time when quarantine to appreciate what we have, appreciate everything around us, all the things we've taken for granted, feel it, that the reverence for everything that's, that's in our existence and that feeling that abundance within ourselves, beautiful. And so let's say someone, I guess, what should someone do? Like, let's say an entrepreneur, okay, then who Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or someone, maybe someone listening to this conversation, they just, they want to be a successful entrepreneur. They want to sell a lot of books. They want to launch an internet, blah, 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 and make, you know, make money, contribute to the planet. And so what does that look like for someone like a Bezos or Zuckerberg or Sergey Brin who that, that somehow the, the enterprise they've built has added value to the world on some level, to a degree, it's debatable. And then now they have all of these resources, yes, that through stocks and money and what have you. From your perspective, how would they, how would you advise someone like that to live what you're saying? Would that mean, okay, well, don't start the enterprise? Would that mean, Hey, Jeff, just give away everything you have and live with nothing. What, what does that look like for, let's say, a budding entrepreneur and someone like a Bezos and, and Zuckerberg? Gosh, that's an, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a dicey question for me because I think there's a huge problem with being overcompensated. Uh huh. Um, so I, you know, this is a very controversial thing to say, but I'm going to say it. Well, I love, think that, um, that people who provide the kind of services that um, that those people that you mentioned have provided for the world definitely deserve to be compensated for their work, but not overcompensated. Mm. Um, in other words, those those companies um, have enormous benefit to humanity. I mean, you know, there isn't a person listening who hasn't probably ordered something from Amazon.com during this time because. Mm -hmm. They can't go to the store or they're nervous about being in, in a crowd. And here's this company that is able to provide us with almost anything on the God's green earth and have it delivered to our door. I mean, can you imagine? It's just, it's, un, it's, it's, it's absolutely incredible what that wow. company does. Wow. At the same time, I'm working on a project right now to connect Amazon.com with the Amazon rainforest, its namesake, mm. and to have that enormous, uh, overflowing bounty of financial resources be devoted to preserving the namesake, the Amazon rainforest, the source of life. Uh, so 
uh, you know, I would love to, um, uh, you know, that's not, I'm working on that project. I would love mm-hmm. to have a conversation with um, Jeff Bezos and give him the opportunity to see that that's why perhaps he named his company Amazon.com after the largest ecosystem on earth. Mm. Perhaps that's why he built the largest consumer ecosystem on earth so that he could save the most precious uh, natural ecosystem on earth with all those resources rather than keep them to himself. Now he did start the earth fund. Zuckerberg has done incredible he and his wife, Patricia Chan, incredible philanthropy. Uh, same with Bill Gates and Melinda. Same with Warren Buffett. I mean, you know, these people are just awesome in their philanthropy. At the same time, uh, to have people, anyone, control billions of dollars, to me, it isn't, it isn't uh, healthy for them and it's not healthy for the world. That we have a system that would allow, uh, you know, 1% of the people on earth have more financial resources than 90% um, is is completely unconscionable and I think not right. Um, even if they're tremendously philanthropic, which many of them, in, uh, many of them are, uh, it's still, there's something about the system that we're in that drives wealth to a smaller and smaller and smaller number of people at the top, marginalizing more and more people at the bottom. And no one feels good about that, including the people at the top. Um, so the system promotes a kind of accumulation and acquisition of wealth that isn't even good for the people who have it. I, you know, I have a lot of other things to say about that, but uh, at the same time, I bow to the generosity of these people and the philanthropic. I mean, $10 billion has gone into an earth fund mm. from Jeff Bezos himself, which is just stunning and staggering and fantastic. Um, and at the same time, uh, uh, I'm saying what I'm saying. So this is a very um, hot topic. And I think that you will see out of this pandemic and to see how unevenly the world community has become, how uneven, how ine- uh, unequal the disparity of wealth and poverty is so great that uh, what Bernie Sanders and Robert Reich and a lot of the people who are really looking at a completely different way of going forward um, with an, a kind of economy that's much more fair. Uh, a green economy, you could say a Green New Deal, has a, a lot of uh, social justice tenets in it. Um, this is a, a very, very, very hot topic right now, and there's many, many think tanks and people and institutes of the future that are looking at what is a, instead of economy that's a you or me success economy, you make it at my expense or I make it at your expense because there's not enough for both of us. That's a you or me system really rooted in this unconscious mindset of scarcity to what Buckminster Fuller called a you and me world where you and I can both make it at no one's expense because there's enough for both of us. And we would never take way, way, way more than we need if we end up receiving way more than we need then we would take what we don't need and distribute it. Mm. Um, so who knows if we have a chance uh, now, I know we do have a chance, but who knows how we'll come out of this. But there's a, um, there's a visioning paper that I recommend by Hazel Henderson and mm. Jeff Capra uh, on ethical marketplace um, that imagines what could happen out of this pandemic looking back from 2050 
a rejiggering, a re-unrigging of our economic system uh, so that success means you're taking care of yourself and your commitment is to make sure whatever you earn takes care of everybody else too. And that's a different definition of success. Now, if we say if you're successful, we automatically think, oh, they must be wealthy. But is success wealth or is success well-being, which is the source of the word wealth? The word wealth actually comes from uh, the word, the etymology of it is well-being. And that's what people want. They want well-being. They want that kind of wealth. And that's true success. Wow. Really, uh, I think, making us rethink our definition of success as I'm hearing you. Beautiful. Moving from this you and I paradigm. Um, in terms of, you, you know, I just have to, since I have you here, I have to ask you this. You know, I, there's, there's some folks I've spoken to who are really sort of far out on the sort of spiritual trip, yes? And maybe, I don't know, maybe you've met some of the sort of mystics in India and they're like, you know, the whole world is an illusion. It's an illusion. It's Maya. It's a play. It's a cosmic play. None of it's not. None of it's real, Coot. You know, don't, don't, don't take it so seriously. And so um, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Uh, and is there a way to, um, or what is the way, is there a way to, 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 I guess there is some level of truth in that, I think. Maybe you can speak to that. And, and, is there a way to be in the world, but but not, you know, spiritually speaking, get lost in the world at the same time while whilst making difference a difference in it? Because sometimes it feels then like when you look at the world and the inequalities of the world. And I was looking at some of the numbers, like eight hundred and fifty million, however many people don't have, you know, access to clean drinking water, and and all these numbers just yesterday. And I, I'll be honest, part of me was getting a little mad. I was like. What the hell is this, you know? And so how can we, again, it's a question I haven't, wasn't thinking of asking you. Uh, how, how can we balance the sort of, or is there a way, do we even need to balance it? You know, the sort of spiritual world is an illusion. It's Maya, it's the play of the divine. And yet we are human beings. There's this stuff happening that isn't, doesn't seem right, doesn't seem fair. And, um, li- and, and I guess live in it in a way where we don't get consumed by uh, rage and anger when we see the inequality of the world and the rainforests and plastics and what have you to the point where m- maybe that rage eats us up and we, we, we can't even be as effective. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that we're... Um we're having this conversation on uh, on a day that's a very uh, in the middle of a very holy week for mm. people of faith. And you're yes. asking about yeah. spiritual questions. Today is the day of the Seder. I don't know when people will listen to this podcast, but that's the day mm. that we're having this conversation. And this is the Wednesday of what for uh, Christians and uh, are is called Holy Week. Um, and Sunday is Easter. And then a week from tomorrow is the beginning of Ramadan. Mm. So the three great religions, um, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, um, are all converging right now 
in the middle of this pandemic in their holiest, holiest time all at once. Ramadan moves around. So it's rare that it all happens at the same time. And I think there's something. Something powerful. Something about that to acknowledge. Um, and you didn't ask me about religion. You asked me about spiritual. But I do want to acknowledge that in every one of these religions, the ones I mentioned and the ones I didn't mention, they began with a, a, a spiritual um, a being of some kind. And, um, and then we have many gurus and, um, and teachers and sages that are saying really extraordinary things right now about what's going on. And I have enormous respect for that and reverence for it, um, as well as the, the great religions and, and the teachings that, that we're all, you know, we all have access to on, on our screens. That's where we live now. We're living online and in the house. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so, there's a um there's a power in what you were saying at the beginning of the question about um this is all an illusion there's a there's a real power in drip, dipping into that yes philosophy or that way of seeing the world when it's useful to you and there's a power in taking the the reality that we live in very seriously which is mm -hmm. another uh, another path um and they're not mutually exclusive um you know the buddha uh, was able to make a huge difference in the lives of people around him. Um, Ashoka, one of his followers, was one of the most important people to stop the violence in, in India. You know, the Pope right now is saying some extraordinary things mm -hmm. um, that no Pope has ever really ventured into the territory that he's stepped into. So it, it's... Um, it, I think it's not an either or, and I think it's the mm. inquiry of how to live. Mm. The inquiry of how to live is why you have this podcast. It's the way I experience you. It's there is no um, answer that I have. I know that my spiritual path uh, has many different twists and turns. Uh, you know, I have I try all different kinds of meditations. I was raised as a Catholic. I'm right now in the middle of Lent. Um, and I fast for Lent because I love to fast for Lent and give up stuff and do a whole Lenten thing with Brother David Stendhal Ross, a great Benedictine monk that I adore. But I'm not really practicing Catholic, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And my son is uh, is Muslim, and my grandchildren, some of them are Muslim, and they're doing they're getting ready for Ramadan. And to see the beauty of Ramadan in my um, in my son's family, it's it's so touching. Wow. I'm not a Muslim, but I have enormous respect for Islam now. Mm. So I guess my answer is do what works for you and keep your mind open to all of it because when it comes right down to it, every day that we're alive and now every day that we're um, asked to stay home, we have the opportunity to explore different realms, different dimensions, different distinctions, different aspects, different regions of our own spiritual, physical, mental, emotional well-being. And um, I think it's particularly uh, apt that you ask that question now because people are trying to make sense yes. of the virus. And it, 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 you know, the shamans say what I read to you in the beginning. Other people say uh, that humanity is, is sick. The shamans say humanity is healing. Yes. Um, the, uh, the, some of the people, uh, that are on the, 
news are talking about the attack of the virus and how we have to attack it back. And other people are calling it uh, a, an ally that's uh, that's interrupting the um, the un, unsustainable, um, you know, kind of lost way that we're living. So I think it's all what empowers you mm. when you get up in the morning. What gives you what you need to have the best day of your life? What gives you what you need to have? Uh, a day where you extend more kindness than you thought you could possibly have. What, what, when you get up in the morning, do you need to say or do or read or, uh, what ritual do you want to perform that allows you to tap into a, a level of patience and compassion and forgiveness that perhaps you've never known of yourself before? What, uh, do you need to do in the morning? to get yourself clear that today's the day you're going to reach out to that person mm. that you haven't forgiven for 15 years and it's now weighing on your heart now that you have some downtime to really think about it, et cetera, et cetera. So we have a huge opportunity to access our faith if we have it, uh, deepen our spiritual path yes. if we have one or if we never had one, uh, really have, take an inquiry into how to live more uh, sustainably and how to live more lovingly. So I know I didn't really answer your question, but I think that's the mm -hmm. game where yeah. the right game to be playing right now. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, then uh, a couple more final questions here. It's been very <clears throat> insightful so far. Um, I heard you talk about in the beginning somewhere about committed life. And if I heard you correctly, you said a book called Committed Life and um, You've definitely lived a committed life. And uh, two questions kind of in one combined. Like when you say committed life, I mean, I have an assumption of commitment. Okay, just commit to something and do it. But what exactly, firstly, what exactly do you mean when you say a committed life? Like what is, I guess, what is true commitment? Because um, many times we think we're committed, but we're not. And what is it to live a committed life? And and kind of connected to that. The reason I ask that is I think a lot of people right now are as, as they're going through these times might feel like giving up and it's too hard. And I think commitment is necessary to, 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 to move through these times and look at the opportunity and learn the lessons and give things up and reimagine the life we want to create, the world we want to create. And so um, what can you say to those who, maybe don't want to commit anymore. Maybe those that just feel like giving up, uh, even if it's just emotionally, maybe even those that feel like giving up, like this, this world is too hard. I want to end, like actually end it. And so it's kind of two questions in one, Lynn. What is it to live a committed life? And, and, and what can you say to those that just want to give up and not commit to this life, living this life anymore? Oh, gosh. Well, let's see. Um uh, well, that's, I love that you're asking me this question because I'm <laughs> writing about this and I, um, it gives me the opportunity to sort of talk about what I mean by that. I'm, I'm, um, when I say living a committed life, I, uh, I define it, uh, at least in my case, by making a commitment to something larger than your own life. Mm. Something you actually cannot put your name on. You can't get any credit for it. Uh, 
you, you can't even accomplish it in a lifetime, something larger than your own life. So for example, and it, and, and I guess the, the second half of that sentence I should say is it gives you a life of your dreams, actually. It gives you a life you could never have planned or created. Um, it, it gives you, uh, it gives you the opportunity to, to live, uh, a life of, of meaning and purpose and, um, and, and, and it gives you the, the access to relationships and pathways that you could never have dreamed for yourself. So I, you know, my example for me is that I, I, when I was a young woman, a young mother, I met Bucky Fuller. I introduced him to Werner Earhart, who founded EST, the old EST training. And out of their relationship and a lot of other beautiful things that took place around that time, Something mm. called the Hunger Project was born, and when the Hunger wow. Project was born, it was what was born was a commitment to end world hunger. Um, and I fell madly in love with that commitment, and I committed my life to it. So, ending hunger—that's a huge commitment. It doesn't have to be that big, but I can say that it gave me uh, my petty concerns, whether I looked mm. good or whether I was thin enough or whether I had the right clothes just moved all the way to the background. And what was in the foreground was who do I need to become to be an instrument of the end of world hunger. And um, that gave me such a relief, you could say, and a freedom from the petty concerns of a little life starring me to being the instrument of something greater than than my own life. So, you know, I, I could... I could write a book on this. In fact, I am doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and so it, it changes the water in which you're swimming so dramatically that you start to find the qualities in yourself that you didn't even know were possible. Mm-hmm. You access courage. You suddenly the relationships that you need to fulfill your path on that commitment, that path of commitment start to show up. I didn't plan to work with Mother Teresa. I couldn't have even dreamed that I would meet her in my lifetime. I was raised as a Catholic, so she was a huge hero for me. Um, but I ended up learning at her feet. She was one of my greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, so I, I feel very um, grateful for that question, and I hope to be able to answer it with a book in the fall of 2021. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I, 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 I think you answered the, the two questions combined. It's just a sense of when you really connect to that commitment that is bigger than yourself, I think a lot of one's petty concerns start dropping away. And uh, it keeps, I think it keeps us going even through the difficult moments. And so I, I think as folks, as you're listening to this conversation, I know times may be difficult, challenging right now, concerns about your life and family. But I also invite you to reflect on, use this time that we're, we're in right now, this self-reflection time, as things have come to a standstill to imagine the the world that you want to create, the world that you want to uh, inspire and uh, connect to. What, what is your commitment? What 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 is the universe uh, seeking to do and express through you and feel into what that looks like and feels like? Uh, Lynn, um, if there were, you've said a lot today as we wrap up, but if there were, let's say, if you were just to distill uh, your your insight, your wisdom, everything you've lived, it's a lot, I know. But if you were to, let's say, 
distill it to the, the three most important lessons that you've learned in your life or that you feel if you were to pass these on to your children, grandchildren, the, the next generation, if you were to give a gift to the next generation, say, okay, here, here's my three ideas that, I, that have impacted my life the most in terms of life lessons I've learned that would evolve humanity the most. What, what, at least in this moment today, what, what would the three then twist keys be? Oh, gosh, the three. Oh, I don't know. They're so... Uh, <laughs> they could be three, they could be four, they could be two. Whatever well, comes to mind. I recommend uh, finding uh, something that you're passionate about and committing your life to it. And that can change over time. It did for me. I worked on World Hunger. Then I worked on empowering women and girls, and now I work in the Amazon. But the Amazon work has brought it all together for me. So I invite people to make a a commitment uh, to resolve a, a problem that 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 breaks your heart in this world to 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 get to move your complaint about the world or your community or your life into a commitment. Transform your complaints, all of them, into commitments. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be number one. Uh, number two would be to um, realize the, the preciousness, the um, uh, the ch cherishing of what you have, your body, your talent, your treasure, your relationships, your parents, your children, your, your kitty cat, your dog, your chair, your it, it can be your shoes. You know, just cherish what you have and take good care of it and share it. That's the source of abundance. Sharing what you already have, not acquiring more. Mm. Um, you learn that from people in Africa. You learn that from people all over the world who are in situations which most of us would call poor, but where they live in their heart is enormous generosity, and you wouldn't think they could. But there, there is such generosity in places where people are focused on sharing what they already have. Mm. So the second thing would be treasure, make a difference, nourish and cherish what you already have and share it. Um, and then the third would be um, to, uh, I, I say this phrase, what you appreciate appreciates, which is a little bit of, of number two and number three together. Yes. Um, when you're living in gratitude, you cannot be afraid. Mm. Um, when you're afraid, if you think about what you're grateful for, your fear is gone instantly. It's an instant transformational moment. And keeping a gratitude journal, writing down before you go to sleep every night the five things you're grateful for that day. It could be something like that you turn on the faucet and clear water comes out. It can be something, it mm. can be the, 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 the home you live in. It can be the, precious granddaughter that you talk to on the Zoom call. It could be the good people at Zoom who keep us all connected, the people of the internet. It could be the, you know, the doctors and nurses on the front lines. It could be your cat. But to every night, make a litany of what you're grateful for. And I guarantee your sleep will be sweeter and deeper rather than looking at what you didn't accomplish or what you're upset about or watching the television late at night about how many people have died today. Yes. I would I would watch out for that stuff. If you need to have that information, get it in the morning. Mm. But at night, wallow, dwell, revel in gratitude. Mm. So those are three. I love it. Transform your complaints into commitment. 
treasure what you already have, folks. Sharing, sharing, sharing. Share what you already have, not just acquiring more and what you appreciate, appreciates. Uh, folks, as homework assignment, I want to invite all of you to really just take Lynn Twist's uh, Three Keys to Heart, everything she shared so generously today. As a homework, I want you to focus on what she just said, five specific things each day. If not more, can be can be 10, but let's start with five, folks. Five things each day, every day. Make the list that you are truly grateful for and feel it and connect to it, appreciate it, and let that expand within yourself. And uh, as Lynn says, let's see how you feel and what happens from there. Beautiful. Lynn, I want to just, just let you know how in this moment, appreciative, grateful I am of just this opportunity to connect who you are. Every time I see you, you're beaming with love. Uh, I'm just blessed by your presence on the planet and the work you've done. Um, you've inspired me in ways before you and I even met that you have no idea from first reading your book and um, inspiring me to live a committed life. And I know many of us listening in. What is the best way that people can find out about you and your work? What's the best website? I want as many people listening in to check out what you're doing. And for sure, folks, buy Soul of Money on Amazon. That's available. It's an amazing book. I'm going to reread it sometime in the next month. But what's the best way people can find out about you and your work, Lynn? Um, well, we have something called the Soul of Money Institute. And you can go to soulofmoney.org, O-R-G, on the web. And you'll see... Uh, courses and talks and videos. We're particularly interested in inviting people to our Saturday webinars during the pandemic. And we do those uh, every Saturday from noon to uh, 1.15 Pacific time. And we're going to look at um, at grief and mm -hmm. how important it is to really uh, deeply allow uh, ourselves to grieve as we go through this, this thing. Yeah. And no. then um, the Pachamama Alliance is pachamama.org, P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A.org. And we're doing webinars also. We'll be doing a big summit on Earth Day, April 22nd. So pachamama.org is the other place to reach me. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Folks, you heard it. Solarmoney.org. Check it out there uh, and see what, uh, what Lynn is doing at the solarmoney.org. We'll, we'll definitely make sure that's in the show notes and Pachamama. He said Pachamama.org. Yes, then yes, Pachamama.org. We will yeah. put that in the show notes as well, folks. Definitely uh, send me an email, everyone. Coop Blackson at CoopBlackson.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from this amazing episode with the one and only Lynn Twist, author of Soul of Money. Let me know uh, just how you're feeling from the homework assignment, focusing on the five things you appreciate each day. And I would appreciate if, number one, you download this episode Share it with everyone you know. I want Lynn's message and Lynn's work to spread to all of your community and, all, and also uh, check out Soul of Money. Amazing book. Until next week, folks, next episode of Soul Talk, sending you much, much love wherever you are. Lynn, God bless everyone. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, 
Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.